we are here tonight because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? That's why you're here tonight. It's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even if you're not a believer, you're here because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're here because someone has been changed by the gospel and has forced you to come. Because they have been changed by the gospel. We're here because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the gospel changes everything, right? If you are a believer, everything about you is different. You may not be perfectly changed like you want to be changed, like the word of God tells you to be changed, but you are changed. You are changed forever from the inside out. Your life must be different. You, you have put off things. You have put on things. You are thinking differently about our world. And we're here because we want to grow in that. We want to grow in change. You have been changed by the gospel. The gospel changes you positionally, right? We talk about this all the time. God does not look at you in your sinful state anymore, but because of what Christ did in his life and in his death, you are positionally righteous before him. You are positionally in the righteousness of Christ. You are positionally changed. And you're also experientially changed, right, as well. You are able to do things because of the power of the Holy Spirit that you weren't able to do before. Maybe imperfectly, but you're able to do new things. You're able to obey in a way you couldn't obey before. The gospel changes you. And you're also changed affectionately. You're also changed inside. You desire things that you never desired before. You're here because the gospel changes everything about your life. And you're here because of the gospel. Um, for a little, a little time here, in, in between now and the beginning of summer and June, we're going to just do a small series kind of on, on what that looks like. How has the gospel changed you? We're going we're to be talking about the attitudes of sweet Christians. And I don't mean sweet like, sweet. <laughs> what do I mean? Well, let's see. Uh, the title, perhaps, is a bit confusing. The ones that I sent on the email, I said the essential uh, attitudes of sweet Christians. That makes it sound like I'm going to talk about every single attitude that a Christian has. It's not actually that way. It's actually just me picking the ones that are really infuriating to me, that I want to change in and I want to grow in, and I want you to grow in too because that's what I want to grow in. So those, it's, I'm kind of picking and choosing. So you could say selected attitudes of a sweet Christian, but that doesn't sound as catchy and as essential as essential attitudes of a Christian. That's what we're going to talk about. But why, we, why is it called sweet? Well, I would say that theology fills and fuels the Christian life. Everything about you has changed because of the, the truths that you have learned about God and about Christ Jesus. That's theology. What you know about God has changed you. And uh, the gospel has changed who God is to you. God is someone, and the truth of God is something that is sweet to you. Sweet to your heart, sweet to your soul. And you desire to learn about him. And these attitudes become reflected in you. The, the more you delight in God, the more you begin to look like Christ Jesus himself, and you become a sweet Christian. So we're going to talk about these attitudes that we learn about from our God, and that through the power of the gospel can be, can be ours, can belong to us. 
I'll explore a little bit at the end here what exactly we're going to be doing, what order we're going to be doing. But for now, let's just look at look at um, a little basic dynamic of change. We should always talk about like what is the basic uh, the basic dynamic of change that belongs to you if you are a Christian. This is something. This is an ability that not everyone possesses, but Christians possess the ability to pursue spiritual change in their life. And we want to talk about it. It's, it's three parts. This is the, the three-part dynamic of spiritual change in your life. You put off things, you put in things, and you put on things. Put off, put in, and put on. I found that out just this morning. Put, I can put put in there. Isn't that so exciting? And then it's like alliterated. Don't you love that? It's, it's easy to remember. You guys already have my outline. You can go home now. So... Well, let's read. What do we what do we learn here about putting off? First off, uh, the first thing a believer must continually do is be putting off things, certain practices, certain attitudes, certain actions. You see there in Ephesians four seventeen, Paul writing to the Ephesian church, a, a mature church that's growing, but he wants to urge on to more growth. He says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Notice the, the first Part of the three-part dynamic of spiritual change in your life is you, you put off the old manner of life. You see that in verse 22. Notice, first, though, how, how Paul starts this whole entire conversation. He starts it earnestly. He starts it urgently. He starts it seriously. He starts, starts it soberly. Verse 17, right? I testify. I testify in the Lord. It's basically saying, hey, if, if you're a believer, you must not live the way you used to live anymore. You can't live like an unbeliever anymore. You can't do it. You must change. There's a few reasons for this, of course, that we see in our passage, right? The gospel is too sweet, too precious to continue living like you used to live. And your old way of life, if you think about it for a second, if you think about it for a moment, is too repugnant to continue in. You must no longer walk the way you used to walk. You must no longer live the way you used to live. The gospel is too good, and the old life is too horrific in its memory. Because of the good news of the gospel... Uh, what you have learned in Christ, notice what he says there in verse 20 and 21, you must fling away. That's what the word put off means. It's, it's like flinging off old clothes that are filthy. You, you must put them off because of what you have learned in 
Christ, your former manner of life. Now, really quick there in verse 22, there's a, there's a question you, you might never have asked before, but it's a question I always ask when I come to this. Is he giving you here a command or a statement of fact? You may not know this, but the, the grammar allows for either one in 22 and 23 and 24. It could either be saying, you have put off the old person with his practices. You have put on the new person with his practices. Or it could be a command. Because you see, what Paul is doing here is, is he is kind of relaying to you, repeating to you, something that the, the Ephesians and believers already have learned in the gospel of Christ, right? So look what he says in verse 20. He says, This is not the way you have learned Christ, assuming that you were, what, taught in him as the truth is in Jesus Christ. What have you learned in Christ Jesus? To put off. He's, he's kind of relaying some, a message that you've already heard. So what is it? Is it a command or is it a statement of fact? Well, it, the answer is yes. It's kind of both. It could be both, at least, because we know that something has changed about us dramatically in our life. We see this all throughout the Bible. We have already put off the old person, in a sense. Romans 6, 6 says this. Our old self was crucified with him. Galatians 2.20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And really helpful is a really powerful uh, cross-reference to Colossians 3.9. Paul says this. It's a parallel passage to our own. Do not lie to one another seeing as how you have put off the old self. Notice that the, the Christian life begins because God has done something for you that you cannot do on your own. He has linked you with Christ. He has put you to death with Christ. You have put off, he has put off the old self. You, you only have power. You only have ability. You only have, have the energy to walk in the new life because you are already in Christ. So it could be that positionally. But there's also this strong context that we see here of commands, right? We see a lot of commands. Matter of fact, in verse 17, it starts off with an urgency and a command. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So I would say this way, and I've kind of changed on this. I would say, I think this is a command. I really do think this is a command. But it reflects this reality that we live in. We, we have already put off the old person positionally in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we can obey this command. Therefore, we seek to do this continually in our life every day. We seek to put off the old practices, the old attitudes that used to characterize our life. We do this continually. So, we put off, we put off. What is the old you that belongs to the old life that you should fling away? Well, notice, Paul kind of described it. It's, it's a very helpful description. It's a very powerful description. It is perhaps uh, one of the most <coughs> uh, detailed and descriptive and, and frightening descriptions of the old life that you have in the Bible. And, and he basically says this in, in verses 17 all the way through 19. You should put off the old way of life in its aim in its thinking, in its distance, in its disposition, and in its desire. You should put off the old life in all of these ways. First off, the old life is this. It is 
frustrated in its aim. Notice what he says about the old life. You must not do as the Gentiles used to do or do in the futility of their minds. Unbelievers are frustrated in their aim. This is a word, futile, that can be translated emptiness, can be translated purposelessness. It is this sense of, of an incapability to, to, to find what it is looking for. It, it can't produce the desired results, right? This is the word in the, the Old Testament and the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that, that is used all throughout Ecclesiastes for futility. Vanity of vanities. It's used all throughout the Old Testament. And Solomon repeats this refrain, right? All of life is so unsatisfying. It's so vain. And this is the the frustration that the unbeliever actually has. If they're honest with themselves in their understanding, in their mindset, and how they go about this world, this world is disappointing. You, you can never really be satisfied. There's always something else that you're after. It is an unsatisfying existence without God. That is the life of an unbeliever. It is, in a word, futile. It is frustrated in its aim. But notice also, it is lost in its thinking. Notice in the second part, verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. Now, the, the flow of Paul's argument actually links this to the futility part. This is the reason why the unbeliever is frustrated. It's it's explained here. Uh, They are frustrated because they are darkened in their understanding. They are lost in their thinking. That's what I would title this point. Not only are they frustrated in their aim, they're lost in their thinking. Their minds cannot find the truth of God. There might be lights that come on to God, but their minds cannot find God. Their life is without light. Their life in this world is like crawling around in a dark cave, and they are lost. And they cannot find their way to God. The reason unbelievers are frustrated in their life is because they cannot, they cannot comprehend God's truth. They cannot find God's truth because they are lost and they are lost in their thinking. But this is actually the result of something else. We're not just, we're not just victims of our lostness. Notice Paul explains what lost in thinking also means. The, un, the old life is also angry in its distance. Notice, alienated from the life of God there in the next verse, or the next half of the verse, 18. They are darkened in their understanding, and then the argument continues to explain why they are frustrated and darkened. It's because they are angry in their disposition. They are alienated towards the life of God. All of this is because the unbeliever is, by nature, an enemy of God. The old life does not want to be with God, doesn't want to believe in God, doesn't want to hope in God. It will set up idols every other place. It will seek any other solution but the true God. They are angry in their distance. 
But this isn't the only thing. We actually see another explanation, an explanation of why the life is so futile, an an explanation of why the understanding is so lost in darkness, and an explanation of why people are so alienated, enemies of God. It is because, ultimately, they have a hard heart. You see that there in the end of verse 18. All of this is due to their hardness of heart. A, A fourth point The old life is unbelieving in its disposition. It is naturally unbelieving towards God. The heart is naturally hard, it's resistant, it's self-centered, it's foolish, it's unbelieving. Essentially, unbelievers don't believe. They refuse to believe the truths of God. This is why you are alienated towards God. This is why your mind is darkened in understanding. There might be flickers of light that God brings your way, but your heart stomps it out. And this is why your life is ultimately in frustration and futility. It's because the unbelieving life is uh, unbelieving in its disposition. And, and this, is, this is why being a believer is so extraordinary, extraordinarily different, isn't it? The believer is from the heart transformed, from, from, from the attitude of the heart outward is transformed. You have gone from being an unbeliever to being a believer. You have gone from accusing and being suspicious of God like an enemy to realizing it was all true. He was up to something and it is glorious and it is good and it is wonderful. You have gone from distance to finding a dear friend. Your whole entire life has been turned upside down from the heart outward. Now you pick up your Bible and you do not approach it with an attitude of suspicion. Your heart approaches it with an attitude of humility and teachability. That is the transformation that happens in the believer in the gospel. All this is no longer true of you. The old life doesn't have to dominate you anymore, and that's why you shouldn't go close to it. That's why Paul says, have nothing to do with it. But notice this isn't it. Ultimately, ultimately, this hard heart, this alienated disposition, this darkened understanding, this futility of mind, ultimately it produces something, and you see the last part there, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Ultimately, it is a life that is unquenchable in its desire, right? When when you face the futility of this world without God, you have one of two choices. You can either repent and turn to God, realizing that Everything that my heart naturally pursues is false, but truth is found in Jesus Christ. You can, re- you can repent and turn to God, or you can just double down on your hardness of heart and pursue after sin, after sin, after sin, after sin. And this is what happens. The ultimate result of the unbelieving life is, is this callousness, this hardness, this giving yourself up to sensuality. Maybe if I try this, maybe if I do that, Maybe if I try this, that is the ultimate end of the unbelieving life. And you must put that all away in its attitude, in its heart attitude. The crazy thing is, as believers, 
There's still glimmers of this old life in us, and we need to do war against it. We must fling it away, put it away. How do you put things away? You, you separate from them, you repent of them, you turn from them, but you'll never experience true change unless you replace things as well. And that's what Paul goes on to say. He gives you two items to replace that old life with. You see in verse 23, the first one, after you've put off the old self, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Or, I would put it, put in, put in, continually put in truth into your life. Continually be transformed by the renewing of your mind, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 would tell you. This is an important truth. Do you know that as you think, so you are? You are what you think? And it's very important to the Christian life to think about life differently than the world thinks. You need to be renewed. The word renewed means made young, made new, made fresh. If you are filled and fueled with a hard heart, with an ignorance towards God, with an earthly focus, with this distance towards God, you will never experience a fresh and fulfilling and satisfying life. And the same way, and same way it goes in this, in this sense. If your days are filled with, with thinking after the world and the way the world thinks about life and all these kinds of things from movies and things like that, your, your life will begin to look like an unbelieving life more and more and more. And you will either prove to be a total unbeliever, ultimately, or to be a very weak one, a weak one. If, on the other side, if you spend your days intentionally seeking after God's truth, your life will be totally different. Just look at the transformation that can happen in your life. Instead of a futility of mind, you have an e- eternal satisfaction in your life, right? You are seeking what lasts forever. That is what the unbeliever seeks, something that is eternally satisfying. You also have the light of the mind of Christ in your life. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us this. We have the mind of Christ. As we study God's word, we know Christ's mind. It's an extraordinary thing. You also have a relationship with God. You have this unshakable confidence despite what the world does. Everything is okay because you have a relationship with the living God. And you also have something wonderful, something beautiful, something that you should treasure. You have a soft and sensitive heart. A heart that trusts God, believes God. That is what happens when you fill your mind and your heart with the word of God. Your, your focus is eternal, more and more. Your mind is like Christ, more and more. Your relationship with God deepens, more and more. And your heart is soft towards his promptings, more and more. It's a wonderful life to have. And this happens from being continually renewed, continually thinking about this world and about this life as God tells us to think. And, and just, just, just wait a minute here. Isn't this significant? It's so significant and interesting to me that verse 23 is there. Because he could have just said, put off and put on. But notice the, 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 the vital importance of truth in your life. 
He takes a whole verse to emphasize. It's not just put off and put on. It's in how you think. Your life is a reflection of your thoughts. Your new life will be a reflection of your thoughts. Your old life is a reflection of your thoughts. The unbeliever lives a life in reflection to their thinking, and the believer lives a life that is reflective of their thinking as well. Do you struggle with lusts? What, 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 are, what are your thoughts doing? What are your thoughts towards yourself and how much you trust yourself in certain periods of time? What are your thoughts towards God's remedies for you? What are your thoughts towards Christ's glory? What are your thoughts about why God made you? Or do you struggle with worry? How do you think about God's sovereignty? How do you think about the fact that he is in control of every situation and you are not ultimately? What about laziness? How do you think about yourself? Who owns you? Who owns you? And what were you saved to be about? We saw this at Winter Retreat, us guys, right? We saw that we have been bought with a price, and we saw that we were purchased by Christ to be a sacred space of worship, to give glory to God, to be pursuing that in all of our days. And when you think that way about your life, your life changes, right? What about parents and authority in difficult situations? Well, the believer can think about them as gifts of God for protection, for teaching. And the believer can think about their parents in a way that nobody else can think about them. They can say, this is a relationship. Regardless of how hard or difficult or challenging it may seem, this is a relationship where I get to showcase to the world the transforming power of the gospel in my life. Isn't that amazing? The Christian, only the Christian can think that way. Or what about contentment? The Christian can say, everything in life is from God. And I can trust him in all things. And he will give me all that I need to accomplish what he desires me to pursue. So when I am pursuing his will in my life, I am maximally free, maximally content, maximally joyful. That's how the Christian thinks. And do you see how it transforms their life? But you can only have that if you are feeding on the Word of God, right? You can only have that if your mind is being renewed daily by His Word, not by the world surrounding you. That's a marvelous thing. Put in the Word of God. A third, a third point, put on. Put on. Put on new actions. Put on new attitudes. One, one more thought I was going to say. Verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Notice it's not just in your mind, but also in the spirit of your mind. That, that reflects like an attitude you have towards the truth of God. Be renewed in that. Have a new attitude towards how you approach truth. I had a teacher in seminary always say this. You know what? When this word of God is opened in my lap, what should my attitude be? It should be humble. It should be eager. It should be interested, excited. It should be hungering. I am ready to receive God's word. You should have an attitude that is ready to receive things. Why? Because point number three, we want to put on things. 
We want to put off old things. We are putting in new truth into our life. And we want to put on new attitudes, new actions, whatever we find. Notice Paul kind of spells out what this looks like. The believer is always living a life of putting off and putting on and being renewed in the spirit of their minds. Look at how he, how he explains this in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbors, for we are members of one another. You notice what you have there? You've got the three points, right? Put off falsehood. Be renewed, right? Re- realize that, hey, I am a member of this body that is Christ. I, we are members of one another. That is a renewed kind of thought. And then put on, let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. Or how about verse 26? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Or how about verse 28? Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he have, he may have something to share with anyone in need. Or how about verse 29? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you have or were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Notice how... You're putting off things, you're putting on things, and you're doing all of these things because you're thinking about God and about life differently. Your attitudes are completely changed. Attitudes are completely changed. Basic, basically, the Christian life isn't just a bunch of don'ts and don't go there's and do not enters. The Christian life actually is is a lot of that. It's putting off things. But mainly the Christian life is a life that's preoccupied in what I must be doing. It is thinking about life in a new way. It's not just putting off. It's also putting on. I could say it this way. The Christian life is so busy putting on things that it has no time for the old things, the old ways of life. I think actually prayer is a wonderful illustration of this. Prayer is this wonderful thing. It's this wonderful thing that takes a lot of time, right? It puts your mind on the things that are true, and it also takes your mind away from spending its time on other things. But you're like, David, prayer is incredibly frustrating. I'm always distracted in my prayers. Well, that might mean it's actually very important, very significant to your life. Prayer is an action that you must put on. Well, that's kind of like the basic grid, the basic dynamic of what the Christian life looks like. How are we going to pursue these? Well, like I said, it's going to be a selected series. It's mainly just going to be my prerogative, what I really want to learn about. But here's a list of things I want to talk about. We're not going to be necessarily following uh, Ephesians 4 here. We're going to jump around a little bit. But I want to talk about self-control. I want to talk about the attitude of patience. I want to talk about the attitude of anger. I want to talk about the attitude of thankfulness. I want to talk about the attitude of discernment. I want to talk about those things, at least, 
and I want to talk about anything that you want to talk about. Your small group leaders are going to ask you a question. If there's anything that you really want to talk about as far as the attitudes of the Christian life, let them know, let me know, and let's talk about them. I want to be changed. I want to be forever changed. I want to be continually growing, continually putting things on. And that's really what I would love to see in you all as well. These are the, the, the basic dynamics of the Christian life. It is a life that is marked by newness, by newness. It's a wonderful thing. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this life that we get to share in Christ. We thank you that it has been given to us by grace, not by works done by us in righteousness, but by your grace, by the power of your spirit, we can pursue these things. And we pray that we would have energy and attention to learn these things and to pursue these things and have attitudes that are different, even attitudes that are needed going into this summer season. We pray this all in in Jesus' name now. Amen.